The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies. And fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Who, despite how he sounds, is not actually Lemmy Killmeister. Really? I've never seen the two of you in the same place at the same time, Don. Shh. <laughs> and tonight, we're going to be talking about Chinese novels. Probably a subject many of you have not thought about or maybe even heard of, but the Chinese novel industry is huge, and the Chinese novel translation industry to English is becoming even bigger. So to help us understand this, we've enlisted a bit of an expert on the subject, Jeremy Bai. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Hello, it's wonderful to be here. I'm very excited. I should also note that uh, Jeremy is known by the name Deathblade on uh, the different Wuxia and Shansha forums and has translated one of the most famous of the uh, Shansha stories, I Shall Seal the Heavens, which uh, you can find on WuxiaWorld.com, just to plug WuxiaWorld. Thanks, and uh, that's going to be coming out uh, in ebook form, edited, and like a thousand times better than the live version, and that should be coming out in mid to late 2018. We're in the middle of working on that right now. That is awesome, because that is a great story that deserves to get a much wider audience, and that's partly why we're here today. So, to start off, Jeremy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? All right, well... Um... I am an American from California, pretty much as typical American white guy as you could get. And I, I got interested in Asian culture and then specifically Chinese culture and language. I started studying it and ended up moving to China, which is where I live now. I've lived here for over seven years, let's see, seven years, eight years. I'm starting to lose track. Um, <laughs> and I've been studying, I started studying Chinese before I moved to China, so total, I've been studying Chinese for almost a decade now. Wow. I mean, Chinese is definitely one of the hardest languages for English learners to learn. And I give you total props for managing to master such an incredibly difficult language. Well, thank you. And um, I think like you praise me a little bit too much, as they might say in Chinese, because I mm. still consider myself to be a language learner. It's in fact, one of the reasons why I got into translating to begin with was to improve my language ability, especially when it came to reading and vocabulary. And even though I've been studying for such a long time and I've translated so much, I still feel like I learn on a daily basis. It's really a, a very long process to to learn how to speak and read Chinese. It's just, it's, it's, it's very difficult. I, I would definitely say the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. Hmm. I can believe that actually as someone who has studied Chinese a bit myself I absolutely understand it is not uh, not an easy thing you know they say an English learner can learn French basic French in about 40 hours or at least we can learn you know how to basically the very basics but it takes about 400 hours for us to learn the basics of Chinese hmm. that sounds about right and that's <laughs> I mean I, I did the math a while ago 
when I mean, this is a, a long time ago. I, I did the math for how much time I spent during the first four years, and just it was crazy. It's it's if you really want to, and another thing is, you know, you can pick what you want to be good at. Like for example, if you want to be really good at your pronunciation, you're going to have to focus on that. Especially if you want to be good at reading, writing, they all take extra work. So if you want to be completely well-rounded, that's even harder. So man, very it takes a commitment. Let's put it that way. Hmm. Well, you followed the Thai-Mar tradition, though. You uh, fell in love with someone who speaks your target language, and that makes things much easier in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. So um, to end my story, basically, like I said, I, I started doing translating mostly to improve my language skills, and then, yeah, we got married, and now we have a kid, and by chance, uh, by a, a chance series of events and circumstances, I ended up falling into this uh, Chinese novel translation scene, and that's what I do full time now. And here I am, living in China for almost a decade and translating fantasy novels. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that is. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a hard life. Um, so why don't we rewind then and just focus on the um, the novel translation scene? So where did it first start out in English? I mean, were you there? Were you involved with the early translations? Well, it actually goes back quite a ways, and I think uh, if you were gonna pick a starting point, I would say probably it was when the movie Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out, which was in mm-hmm. twenty, geez, when was it? Two thousand or no, not two thousand, two thousand earlier than six. I forget. It was a really long time ago, yeah. and uh, that sparked a big interest in Usha among uh, Western mm-hmm. audiences because it was that was really the first sort of like really well-made Usha movie that was super popular in the West and didn't seem like a, you know, kind of cheesy Kung Fu movie. It was really just very cinematic and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, got a lot of attention. And I was among the crowd of people who all of a sudden got obsessed with it. And uh, at that time, there was virtually no Usha fiction translated. I'm pretty sure there was none. And so at that time, a huge fan translation scene sort of came out of nowhere. There were a few novels that got translated and published uh, legitimately, uh, like officially licensed and stuff. Um, the ones that you can get nowadays on Amazon, I think they're uh, The Deer in the Cauldron and The Book mm-hmm. and the Sword, both by Louis yeah. Cha. Um, and there's a couple Gulong novels as well. Uh, so that's how I got into it. But the thing is, mm-hmm. Usha is a little bit different from what's popular nowadays. And what happened was, as the years went by, sort of like a bunch of stuff got translated, classic Usha novels. And then the scene kind of sort of started to die down. And that was when I kind of got into it. And again, I just I started translating to force myself to read. And, this, and what I did was I picked the most simple and short Usha novel I could find and translated it. And then I went on to another one and another one after that. And it was around that same time that mm-hmm. a translator who is now, I would, I guess infamous is the right word. I can explain hmm. later if you want. But mm-hmm. there was a translator named He-Man who at this point is a little bit infamous because of some later events. But basically around the time that I first started posting my own Usha translations, he started posting the translation of a novel called Stellar Transformations. And it was, you know, back then nobody really knew what it was. Nowadays, um, it's classified as a Xianxia novel or maybe Xuanhuan. And long story short was it just skyrocketed in popularity. People went crazy for it, including myself. I started reading it and I got hooked. Um, And 
that went on for I don't know how long, months, maybe or a year. And then one of the other translators on that same forum, the same place where all of these things were getting posted, uh, another person started translating another novel by the same author as Cello Transformations. And his novel was called Coiling Dragon. And this was essentially the second of this new wave web novel translation content that was starting to get translated, a uh, fan translation. Mm -hmm. And just like Cello Transformation, this other novel, Coiling Dragon, also took off almost immediately. And it got so popular that the guy that was translating it decided that he would take it off of that forum and start posting it. Well, he, he posted it on the forum as well, but he also posted it on his own website. He made a little website, which guess what is called Usha World. That was how it started. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, then what happened was people were so crazy into it that they started, you know, contacting him and saying, hey, like, we will pay you money to, you know, get these chapters faster. And so he instituted a sort of what would he call a sponsored chapter program where if people, it didn't matter how many people uh, donated X amount of dollars, it could be, you know, one person donate that or it could be 10 people all donate a little bit. Once it got up to a certain amount, he would post one extra chapter that week. And instantly mm -hmm. it just exploded to the point where he was posting something like, 12, 14, 20 chapters per week, depending on his schedule wow. and stuff like that. And then from there, it just, it snowballed where tons of people were jumping in to start translating this novel and that novel and the other novel. And during this whole time, again, I was kind of just doing it as a hobby. Uh, mm -hmm. as, as the scene started, really just started to explode, the guy that started Usha World contacted me and asked me if I'd be willing to post my translations on his site, kind of join him. And then that's how I got into translating I Shall Seal the Heavens. And at this point, it's all history. Wow. Okay, yeah. Hmm. Now, the guy you're referring to is Run Wo Xing? Yeah, that's him. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. All right. And um, obviously, you've managed to make enough from your translating work to actually pay the bills. So it must be pretty lucrative right now. Like, there must be an actual good financial incentive to be a translator these days. I would say yes and no. Um, the thing is that the scene exploded and got really popular. But after that initial explosion, I think the growth rate of new uh, readers has not really like taken. I mean, it kind of slowed down. I'm not really okay. sure. I don't have access to statistics to say for sure how many total readers exist in this market. And, and another thing that complicates the whole thing is that, you know, there's tons of websites springing up all over the place, no, uh, stealing yeah. content and or pirating, whatever you want to call it. So it's hard to say, you know, how many total readers there are, but I don't think it's continuing to grow as rapidly as it was. But there are a mm -hmm. lot of people still trying to jump in to make some money off of it. And so therefore, it's harder now. Like for me, since I started from the very beginning, I have a little bit of a readership and I have right. access to some of the popular novels. Um, yeah, it's it's easier for me. But for somebody just starting out with, you know, nobody knows who they are and they're trying to translate, it's definitely a lot harder. And this is a kind of a complicated subject that gets into, you know, where the money comes from and who owns the mm -hmm. licenses and a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. But for some people, it's definitely possible. And there, there are people um, who, like, for example, I have a friend here in town who recently... He quit his job and joined up on Usha World to be a full-time translator. So there, there's definitely, it's definitely like a career option. At, well, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. The industry is, is so new. I don't know. I would hesitate to call it a career, but it's definitely lucrative enough to be full-time work for some people, but that mm -hmm. that's that's not, it's becoming less 
easy for for newcomers. Hmm. Right. Okay, well, we should probably rewind here a tiny bit. All right, so, and let's just tell our audience about, like, Chinese novels in general. You've already thrown out a couple of terms, like uh, Xuan Huan and uh, Wuxia and Shansha. Why don't we start by defining those terms? So what are the main genres of, like, Chinese uh, web novels that are popular? Sure. Um, just to plug myself, by the way, I do have a whole video about this on my YouTube channel, which is just Deathblade. You search mm-hmm. on YouTube, but to kind of we'll sort of... We'll put it in re- the show notes. Okay, cool. Um, I go into it a little bit more detail there, but I would say that, you know, well, basically for Chinese web novels, literally any genre you can think of, there is a novel of that type of genre. So like they have everything. There's modern day cop stories and there's, you know, there's basketball player stories and there's like Mm. literally everything. But the ones that are really popular um, are the fantasy genres. And I kind of collectively I, I use Chinese fantasy to refer to some of the top um, genres that include some of the ones you just mentioned so I do include Usha in that which is basically martial arts uh, fiction sort of like um, right. almost super not quite superhuman but yeah superhuman martial arts fiction that was really popular I mean for many decades really even up until mm. like I said when Crouching Tiger became popular but it's not as popular nowadays the ones that are really popular are, um, so Xuan Huan, which you just mentioned, and that's basically like a, like a, a, a fusion between uh, Chinese and Eastern fantasy and Western fantasy. They kind of mix and match elements from both of them. And that, I would say, is probably the most popular. Another really popular one is Xianxia, which um, I, I just mentioned, I think you mentioned, and that's, yeah. if you, it's similar to Wuxia. Wuxia is martial arts heroes. Xianxia is immortal heroes. So in Xianxia, mm. they cultivate their chi to, you know, become immortals eventually. And even beyond that, to become like, you know, godlike deity, mythological, you know, creators of the universe level of beings. And that's another really popular one. And then, of course, there's just standard fantasy that's sort of, I don't want to say ripped off of, but it's basically the same as Western fantasy. A lot of times it'll have a have an Asian twist to it, but... Um, that's another one of the really popular ones, just straight up fantasy. So those are probably the ones that are the most popular um, in, I, w- I would say, in the translation scene and in the original language scene. The thing is about, the thing is in the translation scene right now, A, the popular genres are those two that I mentioned, Xuan Huan and Xianxia. So the fusion fantasy and the straight up Chinese mythological mm-hmm. fantasy. Those are the two most popular ones. But... What is available right now in English is just a real, it's a tiny fraction of what is available in Chinese. So it's, you know, who, who knows what will happen in the coming huh. months and years. Right. So there's definitely a lot of material to be translated yet. A, a huge amount. I, I think, <laughs> I, I think it's probably frightening how much <laughs> is not translated. Yeah. Cause it, cause I've, I've seen like novels and, and eBooks and, and I guess small press isn't exactly the the right term but kind of more of the the closer to the fan base from a bunch of different different like countries and that and they all seem to sort of like you say the fantasy stuff the fusion stuff seems to be popular everywhere except um and you correct me if i'm wrong china seems to to be their fantasy stuff is more traditionally chinese like it draws more from their mythology and their history and their classics of literature it seems that's that's definitely true, yeah, especially among the Xianxia. But um, don't forget that like World of Warcraft is wildly popular in China, 
and mm. Harry Potter is super popular. And so, and Lord of the Rings, just not as popular as those other two, but is also fairly well known. So those kind of things are as like new and exciting to Chinese young people as this Asian stuff is to Western kids. So, huh. and I don't, mm. and by the way, I do want to preface all of this by saying that I'm not an expert on the Chinese side. Like I haven't done a lot of research into like the statistics and the trends and stuff on the Chinese side. Cause I'm more focused on the translation side, but based on my mm-hmm. superficial observations, I would say that the fusion genres seem to be more popular than the straight up traditional uh, Chinese fantasy based on, you know, mythology and history and stuff in China. Okay. Yeah. Cause we don't hear the, the stuff that like I've seen that makes it over here tends to be more traditional. Um, I'm wondering too, you mentioned the world of Warcraft. Is there a big connection these days between um, like the video game, uh, either video game aspect or the video game themes and a lot of what's coming out? You mean in China? Yeah. I, uh, again, I, I don't claim to have expertise in this area, but I would say probably, yeah. However, um, there's, I'm not aware of a lot of, um, let's say, a lot of fiction or movie content that's based on games right. becoming really popular. Like there's a few games that are really popular, and then a lot of the the genres oh, – sorry – then a lot of the fiction that you see on these websites and stuff gets made into games. So it's it's more, to me, I feel like it's more the other way around. A lot of the games and stuff that you see, web games and mobile games in China, which are really popular, a lot of them are based on the novels and TV shows and movies that people are watching, as opposed to the other way around. Huh. I don't know if that answers your question, but... Oh, it it does. I was thinking that, because if you look at, say, how... um novel writing networks in in um in Japan or or Russia or, or a lot of eastern Europe they go the other way around where it seems like a lot of the authors have picked up on video games and video game terminology whereas when you mention that for China I can think of that yeah there's a lot of especially those like cell phone kind of games that do seem to be based on like a novel series it seems to work the other way around from how the marketing works like pretty much everywhere else actually i would have a slightly different take on i think it's a reciprocal relationship Mm -hmm. whereas i think uh, in traditional chinese mythology there is that idea of well and religion there's the idea of you people being able to level up for example just Mm -hmm. um but at the same time it was a very vague concept you know you went to a cave for years and you were able to you know meditate and eventually uh escape this mortal coil according to Buddhism anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the Chinese novels that I've read, the Shansha stuff that's been translated, they all have, for example, the levels all have numbers, for example. They're, they level up like video game characters and Western you know, D&D characters. Hmm. Where they're, they're, and as they go up, they literally hit levels and suddenly they get all these new abilities every time that they hit a new level, for example, and things like that. It's right out of RPGs. Like I would, I would argue that there's a huge amount of RPG influence. That's did it start there? No, but I would think that it's kind of come in from the gaming side, and then it's gone back into the gaming. Like it's a reciprocal relationship where it's they're going, they're influencing each other basically. Yeah, I think you're right, and like this is one of those subjects where I think it would be interesting to have somebody dig into it as a study, as opposed to mm. just 
you know, people observing randomly the scene and kind of, I mean, what I'm trying to say is I think you're right, but I'm, I'm not really sure how much it goes one way or the other. Like, I, I think a lot of the authors started designing their novels in ways that would make games. Right. And then that kind of spawned, it's a whole direction that's now just common. So I think, mm -hmm. so whether it was, it started out with games because of novels or novels because of games or something, yeah, you're right. They're like totally connected. And that's actually one of the first things I noticed about mm -hmm. Stellar Transformations, that, that one novel I mentioned, which was like the one that started it all. When I was mm -hmm. trying to explain it to people around me who, who weren't familiar with it, I, that's kind of how I described it. I, I said, you know, it's, it's like a game. It's like you're playing a game. And incidentally, just as a side note, novels about people who die and then get reincarnated into either a game or a game system or something to do with VR or something, they're really mm -hmm. popular. So like, wow. yeah. In fact, there's one novel called Rebirth of the Thief. Um, it's on Wusha World. That's about a guy. It's actually pretty cool. It's about a guy who um, goes, who, he ends up getting killed trying to avenge his parents or something like that. And then somehow he ends up kind of being reborn or sort of going back in time to his own his own self like 10 years before before his mm. parents were dead and it just so happens that he gets reincarnated or reborn like the same day that this vr game comes out that ends up changing the whole world and it just so happened that you know in the course of those 10 years he became a really top player in that game and then he goes back in time and knows everything about the game before it even comes out and then you know mm proceeds huh. to dominate the game so those kind of <laughs> stories are really popular as well and, and i don't even know what to think about that a, a game a, a novel based upon a game that's designed to make another i, I don't know my mind is like starting to spin. yeah yeah well they it, everything seems to be so yeah interconnected and so intertwined basically between gaming and novel and mm -hmm. just to note i mean the novel translation scene that you mentioned didn't really take off and stellar transformations came around around the same time that World of Warcraft and all those games kind of hit. I mean, so it's definitely, there's there's a whole, whole reciprocal relationship happening. But anyway, so let's shift a tiny bit. So um, what distinguishes then Chinese web novels from regular novels? Like for our Western readers, how would they find Chinese novels to be different than what they're used to? Well, there's a few things. And um, one of them has to do with the term itself, which is in Chinese, it's less common to call them web novels. We've, I, I'm not sure where the term web novel came from. We use it pretty commonly. But in Chinese, they tend to use the term online literature. And the mm -hmm. thing is that the, the story, let's call them stories, the stories that are being translated nowadays, most of them on Wushu World and the sites like it. I would actually venture to say that it's more accurate to call them series than to call them novels because they're mm -hmm. extremely long, very right. long. Um, the so I shall seal the heavens. The completed translation came out to be a, a bit over three million words long, and oh, so that's about roughly the same length as the entire Wheel of Time series. And <laughs> it, yeah, and it's it's broke. The, the novel itself is broken up into you know you can call them whatever you want volumes or books or something. It's broken up into ten books. So when we publish the final version, it will be published in the form of 10 books. And again, yeah, about the length of A Wheel of Time. And that one is, I would say, a average length. Like there's some that are longer and there's some that are shorter. But that's one thing about them is that they're extremely long. Another thing that's different in their original publishing format is 
they're they're serialized and they're published very rapidly. So, for example, hmm. I Shall Seal the Heavens, as long as a wheel of time, and was published originally in less than three years. Oh, so wow, yeah. So I mean, just think about that. Like, how long did Wheel of Time take to actually go from beginning to end? I mean, and you have you have that entire series in just a couple of years. So the the authors are pumping out chapters every single day, usually multiple chapters a day. And and that kind of lends itself to a different type of storytelling. So obviously hmm. the writing is not top notch and it's essentially unedited. So you you end up having prop you end up having, you know, mistakes, plot holes, characters get forgotten sometimes and you know characters get renamed and just it's it's kind of a, a chaos. But over, generally speaking you are following this story, this epic story that can go for hundreds, thousands, or even you know longer than that. Especially when you're talking about Xianxia, uh, you're mm. following characters and and things, like extremely high paced story that at the same time goes for like you know universes can be created and can die during the course of this story. So mm. that lent, that's the type of story I feel doesn't even exist for the most part in yeah. Western high fantasy. Like the, the top yeah. fantasy story, fantasy series, let's call them like, like I've mentioned wheel of time, like a million times or like Malazan and, and Harry mm-hmm. Potter and all these things. They're like the, the stuff that happens in those series is the stuff that will happen in one little part of a Chinese web novel or web series. Mm. Oh, wow. And yeah, so that's and one you- aspect. And, and another aspect of course, is just the whole, things that you've already mentioned already, the the aspects of Eastern culture that get put into it, that just give it a totally different spin on things. And there's a lot of tropes and cliches right. that, that come into the picture. And I, I don't, I don't know if you want to sure. get into let's all of that. But... The, let's talk about hmm. a few of the common ones. So what are some of the most common cliches that you find with uh, like the Chinese web novels? Or sorry, webs, well, do you want to call them web novels or web serials? What would be the best term for them? Then? I mean, I don't want to. At, at this point, everybody calls them web novels, so I guess we can just go with go that. with that. <laughs> um, no problem. So, so basically, like Chinese culture is different than Western culture, and a lot of the things that people find to be irritating or amusing or silly about the novels in English are things that are actually not funny or silly in Chinese. And, and one example is. Um, losing and giving face and keeping face and mm. things like that. And mm-hmm. again, I did a video on this where I kind of went into a little bit of detail about it. But that's one of the one of the big ones that jumps out as a key aspect, a key a key um, element to most of the stories is face. And mm. um, I see so many readers like think like making comments like, "Oh, this is so silly! Like, why would the characters do this seemingly like extreme and dramatic thing all because of face?" The thing is that it's actually a lot more realistic than they realize. Um, mm-hmm. The way that face is treated in Chinese culture is—it's uh, really important. It's—it's it's part of the fabric of life in terms of the smallest decisions and in terms of the biggest decisions. And you see that play out in the novels. And to to us Westerners, a lot of times it seems unrealistic and kind of funny. And I think a lot of readers like they like it because they think it's unrealistic. But the <laughs> The, the thing is, it's actually pretty realistic. So that's one of the, to, to answer your question, mm. that's oh. one that I think is, is huge. And, and, and I actually learned a lot about Chinese culture from reading these novels because, you know, even though they're fantasy and even though they're exaggerations, 
they help you、mm-hmm. to actually get a glimpse into how Chinese people think. And I, I clearly remember back when I first started reading them, and I'm, I'm talking about the Usha novels because again, this is this is not a this is not a thing that is specifically about Chinese web novels. It's really all Chinese literature, as far as I'm concerned. I remember when I was reading those really old school classic Usha novels and seeing how the characters reacted to situations and did things. And I thought to myself at that time, I was like, this is. So silly! How could adults actually behave in this way? But the thing is, that is how they behave a lot of times in China. <laughs> the, the only difference is in these novels, they have powers where they can like kill people with like one hit. You know, people、right. in real life can't do that. But the way they react to things in the novels is actually very realistic, in my opinion. Wow.、Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because because、cool. I I saw the、uh, your your video where you, you you get into that idea of face. And it's interesting that people in the West find that so odd because years ago we had a depiction of it, kind of like a like a a souped up version that was pretty common because we had、uh, like the old westerns where the characters would would call somebody out for what would seem like a, a small infraction, but it was this idea of a man's rep and how that follows him, and it's. When you were talking about that on 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 your video, because you get way into it, it kind of reminded me of that, and I thought it's weird because yeah, that's something we don't see a lot of that anymore in any of like our pop culture. Yeah, yeah, you're de- definitely right.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're in. A, I mean, you know, without getting into things like politics and stuff like that, I mean, we're definitely in a in a in a new age. I guess you could、mm-hmm. say, and and China is not. In that age, <laughs> of all the places in the world, they're not, especially the people, the populace as a whole, and even the online populace. Because I feel like a lot of times in Western culture, the the online portion of the world is like oftentimes viewed as like representative of the entire portion、mm-hmm. portion of the country when it's not, and it's even more so in China. Like there's a very small. Group of online netizen young people in China that are like have viewpoints, but that's not reflective of the society as whole. And the society as a whole is absolutely not in any way like the way that we're used to it in the modern Western world. And and incidentally, I, not to digress too much, but for for anybody who's listening who is a fan of like you know following China issues and. And stuff, and because I used to do this as well before I moved to China, I followed a lot of blogs and things like that. What I've come to find out after moving to China is that the vast, vast majority of the people who are reporting about China and Chinese culture and Chinese politics and all of these things, almost all of those people, without fail, are living in the big, most industrialized, most modern、mm. cities in China.、Mm. And there's only a couple of those types of cities in China. There's only a handful.、Um, There's a huge, huge, huge portion of China. I'm not just talking about old people. I mean, you know,、I'm, there's young people and working class people all over China who are not within those advanced top level cities, and yet those advanced top level cities are where all the China experts are living and reporting. And and you know, they travel out of them, but there's a difference between living among the people who are the actual people of the country you're talking about, and then living. You know, in the city where all the expats are, and you can get all the Western food, and it's kind of the same as the West, except there's Chinese language and you know a lot of Chinese food around you. So sorry, <laughs> I've kind of went on a rant there, but the whole point of all of that is that going back to what you're saying about the whole face thing and how it's portrayed in the West, 
it, it, you know, I think your example of Westerns is actually the perfect example because mm. those, those, that kind of, that's probably the closest we get in Western culture to how it is in Chinese culture. Mm-hmm. Well, we used to have it. I mean, the Westerns don't come out of nothing. I mean, there used yeah. to be this idea of face in society. I mean, for example, even in uh, even in twentieth century, that was one of the reasons why you didn't get divorced, right? Mm. It was because it would be a huge loss of face for your family. Same with like teenage pregnancies and such. For in, I'm talking about the United States and Canada, where we're from. I mean, that was just something that just wasn't done. There were social rules that everyone had to follow, and family. It wasn't like as extreme as say China or India, where face can be everything. But we still had that idea in our society. I would say maybe up until the 60s. I think maybe it was the 60s. Basically, it was the baby boomers that kind of killed it. Hmm. I'd say that our <laughs> our grandparents had it, but the baby boomers basically said, nope, screw that stuff. We're just going to be free to be you and me. doesn't matter. Forget this whole face business. And it kind of went out the window. Huh. Yeah, I think you're right. One thing where I th- there, there's a difference, though, which is um, however much – like imagine – the time you're talking about mm. um, and how Western people, I mean, you could, you could just say reputation in right, to yeah. some extent, but in Chinese culture, it's even, it, it's beyond that. And I, again, like I haven't put a lot of thought into how to like explain this. I feel like it's something I should write a book about someday or something, but, but, Good idea. <laughs> but like face in Chinese culture, it's, it absolutely is about the things you were talking about, but it's even more than that. And, I'll give you an example, which is not a specific example, but a sort of a generic like observation about how things work. So in China, okay, well, I'll give you a specific situation. Basically, um, you are supposed to offer to do or say or give certain things to people, even if you don't actually intend to do that. Mm-hmm. And the reason that you do that is because you know you're supposed to be polite. And the person to whom you are offering those things also knows that. And so they will then reject your offer. Um, and then you will try to make the offer again and they'll try to reject it. And it, it's all, it has nothing to do with your actual intention to offer or mm. to give them something. It's all about the appearance of things. And that's like, face has a lot to do with the appearances of things as opposed to the reality. And, and the perfect, mm-hmm. I have this story that I always tell, it's hilarious, which, well, I thought it was hilarious at the time. Maybe it wasn't that hilarious, but basically I was at a dinner with some foreigners in town and uh, a really rich Chinese guy, like really rich Chinese guy. Um, and one of these foreigners was leaving. They didn't know each other. This rich guy ha- knew one of the people that one of the foreigners that was present and then asked him to invite all his friends to a dinner. And so it, during the course of the dinner, it turns out one of these foreigners was going to leave China, you know, go back to the United States. And, uh, so the super ultra rich, I mean this, like this guy was really rich. I don't know how rich, but the kind of guy that like has his own helicopter kind of rich huh. and, oh. or more than that, probably <laughs> if he probably has his own jet. I really don't know. But basically he, um, when he heard that this guy was leaving, he was like, hey, um, I have a car. I'll drive you to Beijing to the airport if you need that. I mean, this is like, you know, OK, not quite Donald Trump level of rich or like Bill Gates level of rich, but like, you know, extremely rich person kind of like casually saying, hey, I'll drive you to the airport and not just to the airport in your city, 
but to like the mm-hmm. next city over, right? <laughs> right. Obviously, yeah. he was not really offering that. He was just saying it to be polite because like to give the guy face, right? To be able to mm-hmm. like to give him face and be like, "Hey, I'm willing to do this for you." And the correct response would was for that guy to say, "Oh, no, no, no problem." But of course, not being a Chinese person, he didn't realize that. And he was like, well, that's great. When can you pick me up? <laughs> oh. And the Chinese rich guy was like, uh. <laughs> and it got very awkward after that. But but I so bet. that's like the kind of, so again, it's not just about losing face, but in terms of giving face, it's all fake. And and you see mm-hmm. that in the novels all the time. And, and if you understand this kind of face concept as being about appearances and about making sure that appearances are like smooth and they, and everything is as they should be, then the, the novels make sense. But when you're not used to that, it kind of seems silly and fake sometimes. Yeah, I'll, I can actually give you another example. I actually lived in Taiwan for two years. So I've, I've been an expat too. And uh, my wife is Taiwanese. And so um, when we first started dating, um, we would go out to restaurants and um, sometimes it would be, say, her turn to pay. We would actually take turns in that. But she would always give me the money, and I had to be the one who went up to pay. Because <laughs> it was about the face of her partner paying. It wasn't about who actually paid. Right. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> and and that leads to another really common one. I'm not sh- I mean, Taiwan and China, the cultures are very similar. Some, like, mm-hmm. some slightly different things, but pretty similar. Here in China, yeah, very, like, very you similar, will see yeah. this scene play out so many times where there's, like, a bunch of guys, and they're all out for lunch or dinner, and then it comes time to pay. And it's like, mm-hmm. they're all friends, but they literally will, like, get into almost wrestling matches trying to <laughs> fight each other to be the one to pay, even though none of them are actually really want to pay. Like, the one that has <laughs> the most money is supposed to pay, but they pretend, like, oh, no, no, I'll pay. No, no, I'll pay. He put your wallet away. I'll pay. And, like, fighting each right. other. And it's all fake, basically. <laughs> yep. I've had that experience with my in-laws and family, yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, and, and, yeah, and it's all, well, it depends. I mean, some people really are that generous. That's the problem, right? Sometimes they really do mean it, and sometimes they're just, doing it it's all about face and you can never be a hundred percent sure which you're dealing with depending on the people that's right yeah it's like yeah it's exactly i mean when when you're in a group of friends everybody will know but once you get outside of the people you're familiar with then it's yeah you gotta you have to be very perceptive about it right Hmm. okay so actually let's this has been a great discussion but let's swing this back around to web novels a tiny bit so is there a typical web novel reader in china like you mentioned that the people producing them all come from the big cities. Is it just a big city thing then? Is it just big city college kids reading and writing these things? Oh, no. I, I Sorry. I, maybe I misspoke about that or, or said something unclearly. In China, the people – no. So, when I was talking about the people from the big cities, I'm sorry. I was talking about the foreigners who – Oh, you were only talking about China. foreigners and expats. Yeah. Okay. For, actually, for the web novel thing, no. It's exactly the opposite. Um, the way they have it set up – Generally speaking, I mean, the industry is changing, you know, rapidly. But from my understanding, the way it started out originally was basically anybody could post content on these websites. And as they got popular, then they could start to make money. And as Mm -hmm. a result, people from all areas and all walks of life could take a shot at it and have a chance at, you know, getting a following. Like the author who I translate, um, he's kind of in the new wave of top popular authors. I mean, he comes from this little teeny 
I, I've been there because I went to to meet with him. It's seriously a really small. I would call it a backwater city in China, and he's an English major, which actually is not a very good major, by the way, in hmm. in China. Hmm. And uh, I don't know what he did before he was doing novels, but he just you know he decided he was going to start writing, and he started writing, got popular. And now he's you know a who knows mega millionaire or something. So anybody can do it. And then in terms of the readership, uh, I don't have any, you know, I haven't done a lot of studying up on this, uh, but my impression is that it's mostly young people. Um, mm. As you can imagine, when you're talking about stories that are so long, it's it's not the kind of thing that people who are out working hard and raising a kid are going to spend their time on. So I think right. it tends to a lot of the time be high school and college students um, and then once they get out into the real world, so to speak, and they start working and they get married and stuff, it's less likely that they're going to be reading a lot of them. And mm. then in terms of people that are older than, I mean, it's hard to say that the, the industry has been around for only, I don't know, 10 or 15, maybe 20. I, I, I wanted to uh, do some research into this in Chinese before we talked about it. I didn't have a chance, but I think total the industry is not much more than 10 or 15 years old. So anybody who is, you know, probably much more than in their mid thirties probably hasn't heard of it unless they've heard of the TV adaptations of, right. of the stories, which, which there are a lot of more and more. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, because my wife has watched a couple of them, so that's why I've seen. And it's usually fairly obvious when they come from web novels because they have a different style to them than the traditional dramas do. Yeah, yeah, and the, the, honestly, like, I, there there are quite a few dramas that exist, but they're not as prolific as you might think. And mm. I think that as time progresses, they're gonna there's going to be more and more of them, and probably the quality will increase, and the edit, the editing of the story will increase, and I suspect there'll be more. We'll see. It's hard to say, hmm. but... Okay, well, okay. Huh. So then how does the Chinese audience then differ from the like the Western English audience for like web novel readers? Again, I, I can't point to any empirical data. I think it's probably relatively similar, although... I think there's probably more people in the West who are, you know, older than that high school, college age who are still, I mean, mm-hmm. like, I, I'm not sure how old you are, either of you guys are, but like, we're, we're you, both in our forties. Yeah. Right. So you're not like high school students. There's a lot of people like, no. and me, I'm almost 40 as well. So I think there's a lot of people like us who are really into this kind of thing. Uh, that sort of like demographic of, you know, um, not like beyond the high school college crowd who is into, you know, nerdy, geeky culture and stuff. There's a lot of people like that in China. Definitely mm. not so much. Not at all. I would mm. say there probably is zero culture of middle-aged guys that are super into science fiction, fantasy stuff. They just almost mm. don't exist. At least, I mean, if they do oh. exist, they, they're, they're like, they like it, but they're not into it, if that makes mm. any sense. I think it depends on the place. I can tell you there is in Taiwan. Like Taiwan does have that culture. But I think that's because economically and for various – we're not going to get into the politics and history. But culturally, that is one area where Taiwan is a bit different. Taiwan is more like Japan in that sense than uh, China is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, without getting into the politics stuff, I mean Taiwan has been influenced by – well, both Japan and America and Western culture to a huge degree, and it's definitely yeah. a different place than China. And and that kind of also goes back to what I was talking about 
about the big city thing, which is in the big cities, you can find, in my opinion, it's a lot, or let's just put it this way. It's a lot easier to find those groups mm. of people, gaming groups and geek groups, like, you know, people who dress up for Star Wars. But I live in a, what's considered a tier two city. So in China, mm. they, they group them into tiers. So tier one, tier two, tier three, and I think tier four. The tier one cities are, there's only a few of them, Beijing, Shenzhen, Chongqing, Shanghai, I think Guangzhou, Tianjin. There's a handful of the top level cities. Beneath mm. them are the less advanced cities, which is I'm part of. In my city, right. finding a group of people in the city that are like that, it's just, I mean, I don't, I'm not even sure they exist. So, hmm. Well, don't worry. Once your city you know, studies harder, defeats a few opponents and levels up, it'll become a tier one city. <laughs> That's, that's what I'm hoping. We have a subway now, actually. So we're on the way. Wow. That's awesome. Um, okay. Well, so, yeah. I mean, but that gives you more of a, you know, authentic Chinese culture experience then in many ways, though. As you said, the most expats tend to live in the tier one cities, but you're actually getting to practice real Chinese and you're having to live in a real Chinese environment, which is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your language. Well, I think, although I think your choice of wording there was actually very telling, even though you might have not realized that you said, I have to live in this city as opposed to I get to live. And in some ways, that's kind Mm -hmm. of true. Actually, out of curiosity, why are you living in the city you're living in? Was that an actual conscious choice? Um, I mean, basically, so actually, when I first came to China, I was really against the whole like uh, tier one city thing because of exact kind of exactly what you just mentioned you know, like everybody goes there and it's like yeah it's all like if you ever travel to beijing you can go to places where it's almost like you don't feel like i mean if you if you could avoid looking at the chinese characters you wouldn't know that you were in china there's right. so many foreigners that they don't look out of place and stuff and i was like really against that now mm. I, I don't really care you know seven or eight years in china really like grinds you down so i'm, I'm a lot different than I was back then. But back then, I intentionally went to this really small city, even smaller than this, actually. It was a tier three city. And then I ended up getting a job offer in this city and came here, and it was a teaching job. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ended up getting married and stuff. And as time went by, uh, not only did I sort of like climb the ranks, so to speak, in that uh, school, I got to a management position and stuff. And this was uh, before I started doing transiting full-time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of, I, I wouldn't say that I set down roots, but I had a really good thing going at that school and then got married and had a kid and one thing led to another. And so we're still Very here, wild. but I, you know, it's hard to say whether I'll be here forever. It's not really the kind of city that I would pick. Honestly, I would, I would pick it if I was like, if I was going to give advice to people and, and somebody wanted to come to China to like, to like teach and maybe learn a little bit of Chinese and, Stay for a year or two. It's a great city. But in terms of long term, I, I would not recommend. It's not bad. It's just not like, you know, not amazing. Right. No, I, I actually completely understand. Taiwan's kind of the same way. Like if you go to uh, Taipei or Kaohsiung, basically you can live there and be, no Chinese. You can live there and you can live your whole life. Like everything's in Chinese and English on all the signs. You can basically envir- You can live there as a foreigner, no problem. But if you go into like what they refer to as the countryside, you know, the smaller the Taiwan's tier two and tier three cities, basically, at that point, you have to start speaking Chinese. You have to be engaged the culture or you die. 
you know, or starve or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, when I first went to Taiwan, I went to um, a province called Nanto, and um, I was literally plunged in the middle of an area that I think probably in my whole city, which probably had what about let's just say about forty or fifty thousand people living in that area. Anyway, there were probably. You can probably count the number of foreigners or non-Chinese people in that area. This was back in the 90s um, on, let's just say both, you'd need both hands and both feet, but you could probably do it that way. Like there just were not very many foreigners back then. Yeah. And so you just kind of had to, you had to learn the language, you had to learn the culture, or you starved. It was really that simple. See, this, like, this kind of, to me, shows some of the difference between Taiwan and China. Because, um, and again, yeah, not without getting into political things people i think outside of the people in the west tend to think of china and taiwan as two different countries and i'm not going to get into like whether they are or aren't but um mm -hmm. in terms of size and i'm not mm -hmm. again i'm not talking about politics i'm talking about taiwan size is taiwan is the same size as a chinese province not yeah. the same size as china and like that's kind of a very important like aspect to it all because you just mm. mentioned the size of the city you're living in so the, the city that i live in the population in the urban area and that includes mm. the city center and those outlying not not the counties like not the outlying um suburbs or villages just the actual city part of it is i'm pretty sure like two million people um mm. it's it's yeah i mean it's bigger than most cities in the united states but it's not even in the top 15 biggest cities in china and i think it may be in the top 20 um it, and it, again it's a tier two city it's kind of like again it's not mm -hmm. like a village or something i mean like i said there's a subway and there's imax theater and there's starbucks and there's a lot of stuff uh, but it's definitely not the same level as the cities with tons of expats and this city has like a, i don't have an actual count nobody's ever done it i would guess there's a thousand or maybe two thousand but Again, a in a population of a couple million, that doesn't really count for much. Huh. Yeah. No, no. I, I, I understand. I believe it. Yeah. People, Westerners just can't conceive of how um, densely populated Asia really is. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. absolutely. Um, it's just so, such, especially North Americans, because they're maybe Manhattan. I mean... That's yeah. It's about the only place, and maybe downtown Toronto at this point. But uh, those are probably the only places that are even close to being as uh, dense as just a normal Asian city is. Yeah, it, that's. I mean, Manhattan's a good example, and outside of that, it's just. I mean, the thing like American cities, I, and I've traveled a little bit in Canada. I feel like they're pretty similar. Like yeah, they're they they're the large the cities with large populations are more spread out. And that just mm -hmm. is a totally different feeling than when you have all the, that same amount of people in a area one-tenth of the size. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good and bad. It's, a, it's, it's, it's different. It's definitely different. It's different, yeah. Okay, well, let's get back onto the web novel thing. So, so, okay, so where do most people, like, read these web novels then in China? Like, what are the big sites? The, well, there's you know there's a lot of them, but the biggest site is Tidian, is Tidian. Um, mm -hmm. and that's the site that 
most of the popular novels come from. There's some other ones, like there's a website called Zonghang, and there's a website called 17K, and there's other sites. Like somebody just made a, some Chinese person just made a comment on one of my YouTube videos where they like listed all of the, like the oh, top okay. 15 Chinese novel sites. But it's huh. it's definitely an issue. It's it's like, it, imagine that DC and Marvel were one company, and mm. then there was a bunch of other companies. That's kind mm. of, I feel like, the situation with Qian and everybody else. Qian is like DC and Marvel put together, and then everybody else is like, you know, Wildstorm and whatever, like... Yeah, Image Comics. IDW and, and everything first, like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, okay um, yeah. So, so they're Disney. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Although, I, although things are changing. I, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, the, the industry is changing, and... Um, a big thing hit the Chinese. I'm not sure if it's the whole creative industry in general, or if it was just the the web novel industry or what. But the but a big thing hit just a couple of years ago, and that was IP. Mm-hmm. Um, it, depending on how much you are into you know China culture and news and stuff, you might know that as recently as just a few years ago, there was almost like no concept of IP in China. You could get literally any American TV show or movie on virtually all the Chinese websites for free, no problem. But then, you know, things change. Nowadays, you can't. You can cannot get, unless it's really old, you cannot get that right. stuff for free. And all of a sudden, uh, people in China started realizing the power and value of IP, and that includes the, uh, the web novelists. Um, mm-hmm. So... It was only recently that some of the top web novelists started getting anything other than video games done. Um, I'm talking TV shows and, and whatnot. Right. And and very very quickly, all of a sudden, these authors realized how important it was. And guess what? Mm-hmm. For the most part, the the website tn.com pretty much maintained all of the rights for everything for all of their authors. Mm-hmm. Like they own everything. And yes, you can imagine how that would come to be because they, you know, they started the website and it was essentially like a fanfic or like a, mm-hmm. like a amateur novelist site and they're putting right. the bill for everything. And of course it makes sense that they would own it. But, you know, some of these web novelists like, like Tang Jia San Shao and I Eat Tomatoes, they are like incredibly rich nowadays and their IP is also extremely valuable. And just in the past year or two, according to the rumors from what I've heard, a lot of the top novelists are starting to jump ship because they don't want to give their IP to Tian. And they're they're big names, they're well sought after, they can do it on their own. And so now the whole industry is changing just in the past year and we'll see what happens over the next couple of years. Huh. Well it's it's good it's the image comics thing for what happened in the nineties where all Marvel's top guys basically and some of DCs basically said, you know, we could make more money on our own. We don't have to give all our IP to Marvel or you see let's make image comics and so they did hmm. yeah exactly so I, I i think it'll be a good thing we'll see it's it's i hope it'll lead to more and and better content oh definitely although i did notice one interesting thing because i was looking at gdn and they actually post the number of uh stories of each category the genres are actually posted on their main website you can actually see that you can actually see numbers 
And so I was looking at the numbers. Where is it? Uh, yeah, here we go. If you go to their main website, it's all in Chinese, but in the top left-hand corner, they've actually got the numbers listed of how many of each story that there are there. And it's clear that fantasy is dominating like to the nth degree. Like uh, the general Chinese fantasy, for example, has 620,288 stories, for example. Oh. And that's that's the wet, that's the Xuan, Xuan Huan so fantasy. Right, yeah. Yeah, Xuan Huan. That's not the the Chinese style, or it's not the Western style fantasy, which is this whole other category, and that has 134,000, you know, yep. there. Hmm. And then Shansha itself has uh, 211,000, etc. But what I was getting at, though, is I noticed that even though romance is big, like it has 628,000, if you combine the other fantasy categories, they're much bigger overall than the romance category is. And so I'm wondering, is there another site that's is is uh, Chidian more male driven than uh, say some other sites are? Well, um, again, haven't done a lot of digging into this, and uh, one thing I'm curious about is um, how those categories are set and whether they're tags or categories. I'm not 100 percent sure, mm. Um, mm. but there don't forget there's a fee, there's a there's a specific site on Chidian for female audiences. Oh, okay. In fact, I, I don't have it on my screen. I can pull it up right here. Um, they have an entire site devoted mostly to female audiences and mostly female um, readers. Let's see. Where is it? Uh, I, they recently redesigned their sites. Uh, okay, so if you... Okay, so you're looking at... Oh, okay, I see. So the, do you see the new Shangwang? Yeah, yeah, Du Shengwang, yeah. So, so, so I guess that's what we're talking about. That's primarily yeah. female authors for female audiences, right. although not not exclusively. Like the author, my, the author whose novels I translate, Argun, he recently released a novel on the female website because he wrote the novelization huh. of a drama TV show geared toward female audiences, and he like made a comment about it in his like <laughs> one of his chapter notes where he was like i he's like now i'm compete, competing with the female authors i'm not sure what to think <laughs> or something like that <laughs> right it's it's interesting though if you actually go on the um new Shangwang section if you go on the female section there they actually don't give you the numbers for tags hmm, whereas they actually was they do for the main site but on the main site it does list and i'm assuming because that's what you where you go if you click on the main site it does list 628 157 thousands tags whether whether those stories or whatever we'll assume that they're probably stories yeah um i just find that interesting because i know in hell even in english literature like referring to print english print i should say Mm -hmm. um romance is actually our number one genre we don't think about it but actually romance is the top selling genre in like in english print they sell more romance novels than anything else in english by a huge margin well i i I think depending on how you define that because I think a lot of places might include like the dinosaur porn in that category too. <laughs> no, I'm just talking about Harlequin and the uh, the in print. Okay? Oh, okay. If we get into, if we get into ebooks, then yes, we're still also though we're still way into the, the women are women just dominate the fiction market. Mm. And for example, and even for web fiction in English, we've got Wattpad, but Wattpad by some uh, by some well. So some figures say is like eighty percent or more female, hmm. even though they have like sixty million readers by some standards. Um, that's what some claims are. They have eighty percent of that is female. So uh-huh. the re- readers and writers on that site are almost all women. So women tend to dominate like 
English web fiction for the most part. Hmm. See, I think, I mean, again, it's a cultural thing. I mean, and don't, I mean, something that I, you can never, or you should never put out of mind is the fact that uh, pulp fiction has been a part of American or let's just say Western society for a really long time. But just think about the fact that it was only a few decades ago when like really, really bad things were happening in China. (laughs) I mean, that's true. I mean, my, my wife's grandparents were alive during the cultural revolution when like people were, you know, professors were getting dragged out of colleges Mm -hmm. and like humiliated and sent out to the fields to work. And like, I mean, there's, it's just two very different worlds. So this whole sort of like fiction and online culture, you know, they, they always talk, you talk to Chinese people and they're always like, China has a 5,000 year history and blah, 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 which is true. Right. But if, you, if you're talking about the modern world, it's a different story. And, you know, mm. we have, we, we, we can read Pulp Fiction authors that were popular 100 years ago or more. There were no Pulp Fiction authors that were popular 100 years ago in China. It just didn't exist. <laughs> So it's, it is a different culture. And I think part of what you well, just... Well, hold on a sec. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. For That's not entirely true because uh, Jin Yong, for example, was publishing back, I think it was the 50s or... I think the 60s. I think 60s was his era. And so 50 years ago, he was just chunking that stuff out. Now, again, hold on, hold I know on, what but, you're going to say. But that's not mainland China, so that's different. Yeah. But from what I've heard, though, his stuff was super pirated. Like, that stuff was still being passed between Hong Kong and mainland China. A lot. Now, was it, you know, common culture? No. I, I, I admit that. But um, they they did still have access to some of the Taiwanese and Chinese, like, wuxia writers and such, just because, it, you know, bootlegs were being passed around everywhere. That's what I've heard anyway. I mean, I've heard the same thing. I, I don't deny that. But, I mean, you know, that's different than the the kind of situation you have in Western culture where you have novelists, not a That's novelist, true. but like novelists like <laughs> pumping out a lot of content and everybody reading it. And then, then, I mean, you know, this is a sociological thing that I don't, don't have any expertise in, but when you, when you look at why women are reading, are reading so much novels and what they're reading, I mean, a lot of that would have to do with their lifestyle and stuff that, and, and the lifestyle of Western uh, women is going to be very different than the life. That's true. And, and don't point. forget, like, mm. you know, China and like the stuff that was happening in Taiwan or Hong Kong after the communist revolution or around that time, you know, they were definitely very different worlds. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. And, and this oh, web yeah. novel stuff is, is mainland China. It's not not from from Taiwan or Hong Kong, even though the Wuxia, not, the Wuxia stuff heavily from Taiwan and Hong Kong during that time yeah. period that you're talking about. But yeah. Oh, and, and I wanted I to point out one other thing. Just mm-hmm. This is sure. a completely ancillary, but um, since you brought it up and since I pulled it up, this really goes back to what I was mentioning earlier. When you look at how many, uh, how much content is available in these different genres, I mean, the amount of content that's available to us in English compared to the amount of content that's available in Chinese is just, it's incomparable. You can't compare mm. it at all. Hmm. Okay, that's a valid point. Uh, well... Yes and no. I mean, I you could argue that there are maybe, how can I put this? There's probably a lot more fantasy being published in Chinese right now than there is in English, even with the ebook re- revolution that's going on. 
Yeah, uh, that, what? Sorry, what I meant. Sorry, what I meant was uh, the translated content of okay, the content. Valid in China. point. That's okay, what I meant. translated yeah. content. Absolutely, I hundred percent agree. It's it's a fraction of as you said. What what's available is a tiny fraction, and I assume we're all, there's also a certain bias because we're only getting the best. I would. Hope That's anyway. another. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's possible to pull. You mentioned how their how Tian is relative. Well, let's just say relatively transparent in terms of their statistics and numbers and stuff. So it's pretty easy to go back over the last few years and check to see what their top novels were. And I think mm-hmm. most translators have done that. And so most of the top content has at least started to to be translated. And I do have to point out one other thing, which is um, mm-hmm. one, this is like behind the scenes information. Um, I do happen to know that TN does manipulate their numbers or their numbers are manipulatable um, not in terms of what you're talking about, uh, like the number of novels and categories and stuff, but if you go onto their website, you can see if you scroll down a little bit how they have uh, the number one, the, the top tens of in all sorts of different categories, you know, the last 24 hours. Yes, so. yeah, I've, I've seen that, yeah. So, so some of the categories are not very easily manipulatable. Like, for example, there's like a monthly vote ticket system. Um, where the readers can use their monthly vote ticket one per month to vote on a certain novel that they like, and that'll there'll be a rank for that. But a lot of the other categories are very easily manipulated, and the mm-hmm. authors know this. Like like you can even there are even services in China where you can you know if the if the novelist wanted to, they could pay a service to essentially bump their num- numbers by hiring that service to go you know, vote for, because you can also vote right. like just mm. random rec- recommendations that don't have a limit. Right. And so you can hire and everybody knows it. So a lot of the statistics yeah. on the site are actually fake. Um, hmm. Oh no. It's well, yeah. Amazon's had a huge problem with that in, in English with people, you know, fake reviews and other things like that as well. Yeah. Same but, kind but, of thing. By the way, to our audience, okay. Chidian is Q I D I A N dot com. Okay. So that's, Q-I-D-I-A-N.com in case you want to see what we're actually talking about. Now, mind you, the site is completely in Chinese, okay? <laughs> just, 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 just so you know. But Google Translate can give you a rough idea. If you've actually got Chrome or got Google Translate running, it will give you a very rough idea <laughs> if you use very rough. But it's better than you'd think, actually, mm. of uh, what kind of what some of what you're looking at. As long as you're not looking at, like, the names of the novels, then it's just, like, gibberish pretty much. Yeah. I just wanted to, for transparency's sake, um, Chizian has a an official English uh, website as well called webnovel.com. And mm-hmm. without getting into, uh, I mean, that's a that's like opening a can of worms to talk about. Yeah, better uh, not their... go there right now. <laughs> but I do want to. I don't want to be like. Uh, I I want to be as as uh, open as as I can. And mm-hmm. they do have an English outlet which is called webnovel.com, and they're pretty much universally hated among the fan base in the west at the moment hmm. um but they do have that and, and and if you go there they're not as transparent and incidentally in terms of fake reviews and stuff i mean man they're you don't even have to be a rocket scientist to just look at the webnovel.com situation and guess that it's all fake because literally almost every single novel has a over four rating almost mm-hmm. regardless um and the reason is because they also pad their ratings and delete bad ratings but anyway oh, right. that, yeah that's a can of worms <laughs> well yes yes it is and by the way the ones he's talking about that have a you know this amazing rating some of them they're, they're barely in english <laughs> like they're the grammar is horrific on some of them huh. 
and uh, spelling. So, but go, but yeah, webnovel.com, go check it out for yourself and you'll see. But that's GDN's attempt to move into the English market because they saw that, you know, places like Wuxia World and the novel translations and other places were actually making some money. So they're like, well, let's, let's try to get into that game. But of course, they've kind of half assed it a little bit. But mm. all right, better not go too deep into that <laughs> one. Uh, let's, uh, okay, so let's do a little shift gears and a tiny bit then. Okay, so. Is there a typical like Chinese uh, like fantasy web novel hero? Let's talk mm. about like the the you know web novels themselves a little bit. Like is because in Japan, I mean the Japanese stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with like Japanese light novels and such. They tend to prefer like a a very bland passive character who's mostly just kind of a a weenie, uh, a reader surrogate who you basically just is just there to kind of wander through the story while all the while encountering lots of interesting people and. They kind of have a goal, but they mostly just kind of wander through kind of almost randomly. Um, not not that all light novels are like this, but, you know, many of them have this in common. How were, how does that compare with, like, Chinese, like, uh, protagonists? Okay. <laughs> this is really making me laugh because um, I actually retweeted a fan-made, like, infographic comparing the, uh, like, Japanese light novel main character with the Chinese web novel main <coughs> character. Um, right. If you dig through my t- if you dig through my Twitter feed, you can probably find it. Um, okay, I'll track it down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't endorse that image because there are certain <laughs> things about it which are um, like not safe for work kind of things. But um, uh, so before I comment on it, I do have to just point out that like I really don't mm-hmm. feel myself. I really don't feel that I am an expert on this subject because I haven't read a lot of the novels in question. I, right. I've spent so much time, like my, my life for the past two plus years has been fo- focused so much on translating that I haven't read a lot. And so basically my mm. understanding is based on my observations of the discussions that I've seen in the community about this. So it's mm. not firsthand observations. It's what I've seen a lot of people commenting on because I follow a lot of the um, forums and like I, I follow Reddit and I follow the fo- the mm-hmm. Usha World forums and the Novel Update forums and other places where people talk about it and so I see people talking about this all the time and so right. based on my and I and exactly the way that you described the heroes of the Japanese light novels is what I hear people complaining about constantly like all mm-hmm. the time about how they don't like that and and I think that among this fan base of people who like Asian Uh, fiction and stuff i think that that could be one of the reasons why uh chinese novels have taken off so much because the chinese novel main characters are very different from that and yeah i mean there's a lot of differences but they're they're 10 and i don't want to get too much into the tropes of the Mm -hmm. of the the genre and the cliches and stuff but they're like the opposite of that usually I think, at least, uh, and, and that's what I've so, seen a lot of people commenting about is um, there are stories about them. Um, most of the stories that are really popular, the people get really attached to the main character, like they really, really like them. I see a lot of heated debates um, online about the you know different main characters, the different stories, comparing them, contrasting them, things like that. And they're definitely of among the novels that are really popular. They're not passive, and they're not. You know, sitting around, you know, floating through the story and stuff like that. They're the hero of the mm-hmm. story, and they're the focus of the story. And in terms of how they progress through the through the their lives, like every mm-hmm. 
one is different, but I think I think one of the reasons why, and again, these novels seem to be especially popular among young people, mm. uh, not exclusively, but to, to a large extent among among younger readers. I think part of that is because of of the ability to watch somebody go from a position of virtually nothing and being stepped on and being the underdog to rising to incredible heights and always beating their enemy. I just saw, in fact, I just saw a post on Reddit. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure today where somebody said something like complaining, like why is the, the character in, uh, why are the main characters in Chinese novels always the underdog? And that tends to be the situation. Whatever, whatever competition or situation they go into, usually they're the ones that are expected to lose and somehow they come out on top in the end. And I think there's something about that that resonates with the audiences. Mm. Well, here, I mean, we love to root for the underdog. I mean, if they walked in as the, like, massive badass who's just going to win, I mean, there's some there's some vicarious uh, enjoyment to that, but the problem is that usually it's like watching, you know, watching an elephant kill a fly is no fun. <laughs> I mean, you're, yeah. you're just not going to enjoy it. So they're all, they always have to be the underdog. Although one thing, and, I, and this is funny that you mentioned this, because I actually, I was only a few days ago, I saw a similar... A complaint about somebody saying like uh, why do the heroes in why do the main characters in Chinese web novels always hide their strength and like I've even right. seen requests for like because if you go to Reddit there's a lot of I mean novel updates forum is a really big forum as well but Reddit is too and on Reddit I've seen a lot of requests for requests for like do you guys know any stories where the hero does not hide his strength or do you know any um any stories where the, the the hero is super powerful from the very beginning. Um, and those stories tend to not exist, first of all. I mean, mm. They do exist, but not they're, they're, they're few and far between. And number two is, right. you mentioned something interesting, which was like nobody is interested in watching an elephant stomp the fly. But you know what's mm-hmm. very interesting is watching right. a fly that looks at the elephant and sees a fly. And then like, you know, taunts right. and like... <laughs> like makes fun of and like brags to that elephant about how he's going to kill him. And, and then all of a sudden the elephant, the, the that, that elephant that looks like a fly turns into an elephant and then stamps right. the fly. That's like very <laughs> gratifying. Well, yes. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. I mean, here, one punch man does exist. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's no question on that. And, but I guess I think many of the, what you just mentioned about, you know, they complaining about why do they always hide their strength? What goes back to the line that I don't think most Westerners actually understand what it means, which is crouching tiger, hidden dragon. They don't really understand that that's referring to the fact the the full phrase, of course, translated to English would be the world is full of crouching tigers and hidden dragons. In other words, people who are hiding their strength. And if you stand out too much or get too full of yourself, you're going to get stomped. You know, there's always someone better than you. Yep. And the whole, uh, it, it falls into the the Mount Tai phrase as well, which I did a video on. But like, yes. there's there's this idea in uh, Chinese culture and language and stuff that you're supposed to be able. And by the way, okay, if if you know the phrase uh, has eyes but uh, didn't see Mount Tai, then go look at my video. But basically, yes. the point well, is is a little bit beyond what a lot of people understand the expression to mean. And and the meaning is you're supposed to be able to recognize the people that have talent or in the case of these novels that are strong and powerful and could beat you. And one of the biggest cliches in the novels is nobody ever, almost nobody ever recognizes Mount Tai. 
They always, right. you know, mm-hmm. whether it's the main, it's usually the main character. Usually they're like, you know, you stupid nobody, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and then like, it turns out that they didn't recognize that the main character actually is super powerful or, yeah. you know, whatever. And then, then vengeance is heaped upon them. Right. <laughs> yep. Well, we, we had that back, uh, that's the, uh, the old, uh, like Kung Fu movie stereotype. If you see like a little old blind guy walking with a cane, he, he he's the ultimate. You're you're not going to beat him no matter who you are. So Don, you had a question you wanted to ask about uh, like Chinese main characters, was it? Yeah, um, because you were you were talking about everybody compares the uh, the Chinese uh, web novel heroes to like the Japanese light novel ones, and I don't have a lot of experience with the the Chinese stories, but it seems to me. The Chinese heroes, they seem to have, uh, at least the ones I've, I've seen, they always seem to have some kind of specific goal that they're working towards and or there was always some kind of specific event that drives them on. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I'm not an expert because I, like, I, I guarantee you there are people among my readership who have read way, way, way many more Chinese novels than me. Mm. Um, but w- what I can say from the top novels is that, yeah, there's some, there's, there seems to me to be some hook like that, some mm. driving force. Um, the, the, the author whose novels I have translated the most d- definitely has very unique characters who have a motivating force. Each one is different and um it tends to shape their entire journey as mm-hmm. a hero and i can't speak for all of the other novelists but i definitely think that's that's a unique aspect to it and i and again based on my observations of the of the uh, discussions i've seen of the fans yeah it's absolutely true mm-hmm. yeah that that would make sense i mean a lot of uh, well i know the japanese heroes tend to have a more they have a general goal, kind of, whereas a lot of the Chinese ones, again, I have read even probably fewer Chinese novels than you have. So, you know, I'm completely deferring to you, of course, on this, Jeremy. Um, but the Chinese ones often usually seem to be out, they either, they at the beginning, they usually start out either wanting revenge for whatever reason, or they have, they do have some, like, very strong motivation for whatever their goal is, you know, like to save their family or... Um, one of my personal favorites, at least it was, unfortunately, because it fizzled out, is, um, what is it, Tales of Demons and Gods. Right. And, uh, you know, at the very beginning, the I found the hook amazing, where the idea, again, goes back to that uh, for the audience. Um, it's a story about a guy who basically becomes, like, almost a god, and then he, he fights his final battle and he dies, and then he wakes up in the body of his, like, 15 whatever year old self basically with all his old knowledge but he has no power and he has no like he's very weak at this point and now so he has to kind of use his knowledge of the future and knowledge of just you know the environment to start building himself back up again as fast as possible because he knows that in five years pretty much everyone he knows is going to die that there's going to be uh-huh. this giant battle and everyone's going to die. his his whole cult clan everyone's going to get slaughtered and so he's got a very short amount of time to to build himself back up and build the his you know his clan and city and everything back up so that he can um, you know defeat his great enemy or at least or so they don't all die I should say. Huh. Yeah, and I th- one thing that 
okay, uh, this is where my expertise fails me because I haven't read a lot of the other right. novels by the other authors. But I feel like the um, long form, high intensity, mm-hmm. uh, you know, high volume content publishing like aspect of it has something to do with it. Right. Uh, what I mean is like a lot of times the opening for, from what I understand, a lot of the opening, you know, scene of the, the novel where the person is reborn or comes from another world or something. A mm-hmm. lot of times that doesn't tend to have a long-term um, effect on the story right. itself. It's so just like, a hook. It's mm-hmm. a hook. Yeah. And then, and actually this is something that, I haven't revealed to anybody about what the author of my, uh, I keep calling this my novel, the author <laughs> whose novel I translate. Right. Um, the the last two, I Shall Sell the Heavens and the current one, A Will Eternal, when I met with him uh, in his hometown, one of the things he said is that his philosophy of uh, online literature is that it's a collaborative process with the audience. Yes. And, and he pretty much directly said that and he and he he doesn't like just change everything based on the audience but he likes to read the comments and he will change his ideas based on what he sees the the audience wanting or not wanting or something like that and so i think that plays a big part in it too where um mm-hmm. the the novelists will change their change things to right. not I, I don't want to make it sound like they're like changing things to please the audience but they kind of are like they're they're, they're writing to an audience and mm-hmm. they adjust things based on the audience and um and, and then another thing another trend that happens is that like so the the author whose novels i translate mm-hmm. his novels tend to have a point like right. he and and this is one of the reasons why he's suddenly risen to extreme popularity is that he mm-hmm. has apparently sort of bucked the trend of web novels in that his stories tend to have a have a have a have a theme and a mm-hmm. plot that goes through the entire series so right. and that's different apparently from a lot of the other novel novelists who kind of like have a sort of idea but it's more episodic um and then what that tends to lead to also is some authors like they have a popular novel it's it's doing well on the website mm-hmm. and like has a big fan base and they don't really have a reason to end it right so they keep it going and they keep it going and keep it going for as long as they can sort of milk it before ending it i think that's a big trend as well right well and that happens even with tv series my wife watches a lot of korean dramas and one of the problems that they have is is that they do make it kind of like, they're working ahead, obviously, but with Korean dramas, what they'll do is, if the show is really popular, they'll extend the show. But the thing is, it's a finite, like, it's like it's like literally just padding extra chapters into a novel because, <laughs> you know, they yeah. the audience loves it. And so they, they end up with these long, drawn-out stories that are just filled with flashbacks and repetition. It's just padding, 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 padding to avoid actually getting anywhere because they, they just don't <laughs> want it to end, but they know it has to end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's, yeah, that's, I, I can see that could be maddening, especially with uh, some Chinese novels. If you, after you've read like a thousand chapters and you're like, is this the fifth time that someone has insulted this guy's entire family? So now I have to spend 50 <laughs> chapters going and killing all of them? That That's like the perfect example. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, like you can kind of understand it. It's like, hmm. you know, like for example, Wheel of Time. Right. Like, you really like Wheel of Time. You like Matt Perrin. You like Ran. You know, you like 
Matt being clever and like gambling and mm-hmm. you, and like it all comes to an end, but you don't want it to come in. You right. don't want it to come to an end. So if you could keep reading the story and there were like relatively amusing, you know, Matt story, Matt Cawthon, you know, gambling and being with women and mm-hmm. and Perrin like scratching his beard and like being grumpy and all those things. Like, would you keep reading like five more books of Wheel of Time if you could have entertaining characters doing the same thing over and over again? You Some know, people would. Say. Some people mm. definitely. Some people would, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then, would you say that a lot of the web novels that, again, I'm not saying all, but a lot of them are more character driven than more Western novels? Would you? That's a... Would you say that they're more uh, focused on the characters? Because if you focus just on the character, it lets you just kind of wander around. As long as the characters are interesting, it doesn't really matter if you're getting to the main plot or not. Um, that's an interesting question, and I I would have to think about it and probably analyze it more to answer that properly. But what I, I think it's, it could be a mix of both because Mm -hmm. one of the things I've noticed is that in, in some senses, yeah, but in other senses it could be no, like I've, I've seen some novels where the side characters are a lot more interesting than the main character. Right. And yet they're relatively popular or Actually, the one that I translated, I Shall Seal the Heavens, the, the big popular one, is a very interesting example. And, I, and mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to, like, after the novel is edited and published and stuff, I want to, like, stop thinking about it for, like, 10 years and then come <laughs> back and read it again mm. um, as, like, a as a new experience to kind of see how it is from that perspective. Because it's, it's hard for me. I was so focused on it um, for such a long time. But I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of the... A lot of the stuff that happened, how to explain, like, although the character is well-defined and we all know him and, and like, can kind of, like, identify him as a unique character, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that happens in the story is more a result of his interacting with the environment around him and the characters around him at, as... See now, now like I, I'm not making the point I'm trying to make. I feel like, like if you pick any given chapter of I Shall Seal the Heavens mm-hmm. and try to like look at it to identify uh, the character and his his personality and traits and stuff, it's usually like only a couple lines within any given chapter, right? Okay. As so- opposed to like, like you don't okay, you you very rarely have access to his thoughts. Let's put it mm-hmm. that way, right? Like, It'll maybe one line or two lines here or there. You only see you'll see him um, interacting with the environment, mm-hmm. and you don't really know what's going on in his head very often. And so, I don't know. I feel like in some ways, what in some ways, yeah, you're right. They're character driven, but in other ways, not to some extent. Right. Well, that, that's an interesting point. So are most Chinese novels, then, the ones you, you're familiar with, again, um, do they tend to be written in the third person, then? Do they, they don't do a lot of first-person stuff? Uh, very, yeah, it's, it's third person. It's not very often first person. There's a few that I know of, but it's not that common. Hmm, that's, that's interesting. Again, the difference, because a lot of the Japanese stuff, I think, is more, um, it's hard to compare, but it seems like an obvious comparison, is tends to be more first person, or at least you encounter a lot more of it, I think. Huh. Yeah, I, from from what I've experienced and from what I've, from my observations, I don't think the first person is as common. Right. Huh. Hmm. Actually, let's flip things around then. So, is there, uh, as far as Chinese, uh, the, the characters in Chinese novels go, 
do they tend to have actually very good villains? Because I've noticed a lot of the villains are just not, they, they kind of tend to be very generic in a lot of the Chinese books that I've read. Well, this is a, an interesting, an interesting question, I guess you would say. And, and, mm-hmm. um, what I can say is that I think that the Chinese novel industry in China might be going through at least some sort of revolution, partly in partly because of the author that I translate, Argan. Right. Because yeah. from my understanding is from, from my understanding, he made a big splash on the scene um, because by by sort of bucking the trend mm-hmm. in some ways in in kind of the exact things that you're talking about. Right. And it's interesting that you mentioned villains because. There have been some villains in the novels that I've translated where that people have really like just gushed over, right. saying that they're top villains and like this. Like I've had at least a couple in a couple of the different novels, people say like, this is the top villain of any story I've ever read. I have, right. I, I, I huh. know it sounds exaggerated, but people have said that, and I think one of the reasons for that, and I don't, and again, I don't know if this is just this author i suspect maybe it is just this author um he tends to make his villains relatable and Mm. doesn't just make them like you know evil guy like he definitely has those in his novels he has the like ha 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 i'm an evil guy who (laughs) likes to like rape people and like turn them into medicinal pills like Mm. but he does have he does have villains who are not inherently necessarily villainous and that you can sympathize with um i don't know if that's a I, I don't know how that pertains to the genre as a whole, though. Mm. Based on the reaction I've seen from my audiences, I feel like maybe it's not that common within the the genre. And mm. interesting uh, to kind of veer off in some to some extent uh, as I've as I've been working with uh, the editor, who's a professional editor mm-hmm. for I Shall Seal the Heavens. I've found myself explaining a lot of different things, and one of the things that I've had to explain in different ways is the fact that there is no, first of all, there's no like, uh, creative writing mm-hmm. education oh. culture in China. Like you, there, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about a top university or like online courses or anything. Mm. You're not going to find, you know, creative writing, anything in China. It's not a thing. And oh. so, not, and and in terms of even just in terms of like writing for fiction, I I'm not aware of any major in college which would focus on anything like that. Maybe journalism, but definitely nothing like. And, and maybe like hmm. Chinese in terms of like Chinese literature and stuff. But I and I, I could be wrong that maybe there's some majors for writing, but it's definitely not a big thing that I'm aware of. I just don't think there's a high there's a very big awareness of like you know how to write for creative writing. I don't think right. people care about it or know about it. It's, it's very much a thing. I, maybe it's like how it was, you know, a hundred years ago when, you know, people were, you know, when like Edgar Rice Burroughs was like writing, you know, Tarzan and John Carter of Mars. I don't think a, I could be wrong, but I don't think there was a huge focus on learning how to write for fiction. And in China, it's definitely like that. So I feel like a lot of right. authors are probably just, Hmm. groping their way along they're making it up as they go along and they're slowly figuring it out yeah and copying what they see in the western world to some extent as well Hmm. Hmm. interesting 
Yeah. Um, actually, you mentioned uh, offhandedly. So you said that you mentioned, and the audience probably thought you were joking about rape everyone and turn them into medicinal pills. He's not joking, <laughs> um, <Really? laughs> um, which leads to an interesting point. So I've noticed that the content of we'll call it ethical content of uh, Chinese stuff tends to be very different than English stuff. Like characters tend to do much more extreme things. Sometimes even the heroes will do stuff that would make them villains in like most Western fiction. And, and the, yeah. and the <laughs> villains are even worse. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, so like it, it, one of the things that uh, sort of makes me nervous about the edited release of I Shall Silver Heavens is no matter how you edit it, mm-hmm. within the first 10 chapters, <laughs> uh, something happens that's like really, like, not really. How do I explain it without spoiling it and without making it sound too bad? It's nothing that you would ever imagine reading in a Western novel. So I've read it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I know. Um... Okay, so like, <laughs> it's like. I just I, that makes me nervous, but um, mm-hmm. and, and, okay. So to, to sort of explain, basically, the the character gets a magical mirror, mm-hmm. and there's something, there's some sort of really powerful uh, entity or something mm-hmm. that's trapped inside of that mirror, and because of that, this mirror has a certain magical power that is not safe for younger audiences. Let's no, put it's it that not. Way. And, <laughs> And it's 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 sort of vaguely described in certain ways. Like mm. it's not explicit, but it's definitely beyond what you would expect for example. Like for example, for a young adult novel. Exactly. Uh, and then incidentally, toward the end of the novel, um, not sure if either of you guys read very far no, into. No, I but, I've read the first hundred chapters. That's as far mm. as I got. I'm afraid. Sorry. It's okay. Um, I would suggest waiting until the edited version. Um, and, okay, I'll give it another The first hundred chapters is like. I mean, that's like watching, you know, the first, that's like watching, well, that's like watching the, uh, the opening trawl and like the Star Destroyer scene of Star Wars episode four. Right. Like, oh, wow. Nothing has happened based on, like from what you've read, nothing has happened. Okay. Basically, yeah, it's, it's okay. But, but toward the end of the novel, the main character gets his revenge mm-hmm. and it's like, like, have you ever done any research into like the like the the level the different levels of hell in Chinese hells and like mm-hmm. no or you could you could relate it to Dante's Inferno like right, yeah, you know, Dante's yeah. Inferno is like I mean that's kind of like like he does that to his enemies and you're like it's a very chilling and wow. sort of like like yeah it's a very it was it's <laughs> it was rough very <laughs> rough so wow. so to circle back to your point. Yeah, like things are different culturally between West and China, and China is it's a different beast, and, and it's reflected in their novels. Right. Yeah, huh. I think also some of it just comes down to the fact that a lot of these stories. Now, again, this is just my observation. I mean, I don't know how are also power fantasies. A lot of them are just power fantasies about for people who are written by people and for people who feel relatively powerless in their lives 
And so some of this is just about the extreme of just, you know, taking absolute revenge and to absolutely don't coming to absolutely dominate the people around you, because in your life, you don't have that luxury, you don't have that ability. And so this kind of lets them vent in a way or live vicariously through someone who has that power and imagine having that power to, to truly wreak revenge upon your opponents. And so because of that power fantasy aspect, some of it gets pretty gruesome. Um, although that's not completely like out of line. I mean, if you go back and watch the 70s um, films like Death Wish, for example, and yeah. some of the uh, the 70s, we'll call it revenge films that came out of like Death Wish being the premier example there, um, you'll find a lot of that even in Western stuff, where it's just it's about wreaking absolute vengeance upon your opponents. Mm-hmm. And enjoying that vicarious and enjoying that <laughs> vicarious um, high that comes with watching you know evil people get what they deserve. Yeah, yeah, and there there are you know there's different novelists and different styles, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think that one of the common one of the common um, cliches of the genre is exactly that. Uh, I think that Argan, mm-hmm. the author who I translate, he tends to do things a little bit differently and he's he's changed over the years each of his different novels or series whichever you want to call it has mm-hmm. um has reflected different parts of his life and and has course, yeah. been different because of that but he tends to i feel at least make his characters a bit more nuanced but there are definitely a lot of novels out there where it's exactly as you described and uh, almost to the point of predictability but at the same mm-hmm. time yeah there's just there's something like there's something that feels good about like being able to vicariously live through somebody who has the power to literally just mm-hmm. destroy the people who <laughs> try to just to destroy him and to insult him. And like, you know, mm. like you kind of wish you could have their power sometimes. And when people like cut in line or something, just yeah. wave your finger and then like fly off and crash oh, yeah. through the window or something. I think I think everyone feels that way at some point or another. I mean, you wish you could you know, just cause that guy ahead of you, his car to explode, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, yeah, I, exactly. I only get that when I'm conscious. Um, <laughs> but, but you guys kind of came up uh, to, a, to, to a point that I was wondering. When it comes to like the novels and the web novels, are there any like genres or authors or, or that that there's a stigma against that like the the powers that be decry them or like the parents groups are super concerned or anything like that? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of, no. It's I mean wild. like those kind of things those like what you're talking about in my experience doesn't exist in China. There's no parents groups, there's no like XYZ rights groups like there's the there's the internet as a whole mm-hmm. and when certain things you know rub some people the wrong way and it goes viral that you know becomes an issue but there's there's no you know i mean china inherently is not not going to be very supportive of any sort of like organized group no protesting anything yes huh. it just <laughs> it's, it's not not a thing it, it however in terms of, I just have to point out the only, there's only one situation where I've any heard uh, when when I've heard of any author having any sort of bad rep, and that's the author that mm-hmm. uh, you actually mentioned, the oh. Tales of Demons and Gods yes. author. Yeah, lots of drama, and you know, I don't I don't want to say um, 
scandal, but he really messed up with his audience, both in China and in the West, because he dropped novels and then he apparently started publishing another novel under a different name at the same time that he was doing Tales of Demons and Gods and then mm. stopped doing Tales of Demons and Gods. I mean, he updates it like once a month. And yeah. So he has a really bad mm. reputation. Uh, that's the only one that I've actually heard about. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that he's not the norm. I mean, yeah, because he, he, <laughs> he took a great, a great premise. I mean, there's even an animated series and people have been doing stuff with it. It's a fantastic premise. And for a while, it's a great book. And then it just kind of fizz- – you can tell at a certain point he just loses interest or he has nothing more to do with it. doesn't know what to do and he kind of sem- – uh, creatively he basically abandons it at a certain point mm. and it's it's a real yeah. shame yeah yeah it's really sad okay so since we're coming up on the two hour mark we should probably and it's getting late for you we should probably uh bring things around a little bit so okay so two areas i want to cover three more questions i want to cover first so if someone was um going to get involved in reading like web novels and such what are some really good starter ones besides i shall steal the heavens which of course is like going to be linked in the show notes and you should all check out sure um i mean i would like i would actually recommend to not uh do i shall the heavens uh especially not until the the ebook comes out but okay especially because it's pretty heavily the xianxia mm-hmm. genre which is the pure eastern or Chinese, you know, mythological fantasy. Oh, okay. I would start with Coiling Dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one that everybody seems to really connect with. And right. incidentally, Coiling Dragon has also been professionally edited and will be released uh, in ebook format. It's I have special inside knowledge about this, and mm-hmm. it should <laughs> be coming in the next, I don't know, month or two. So basically, I think sometime within January or February it should be released. And that's probably the best one to start with. Mm-hmm. There's another one that's very popular, which is called Desolate Era. Mm-hmm. And Desolate Era is by the same author as Coiling Dragon and Cellar Transformations. And it's translated by uh, the same guy who did uh, Coiling Dragon. And that's mm-hmm. also extremely popular right now. Um so those are the ones I would start with. Okay. Uh, a lot of the other novels, the novels that I translate are written for people who are at least a little bit familiar with the genre. So it might not be as easy to get into. And then and then, if you're looking for other recommendations, you can go to uh, Novel Updates. They have a great, uh, a great like rating and categorization list where you can find top novels of different mm-hmm. genres and lengths and active and complete uh and then the mm-hmm. the novel update sorry the novel translations subreddit on right. reddit is a, also a good place to go to get recommendations mm-hmm. and last is if you're if you are don't want to do like research or something you can always go to ushaworld.com and there's a completed translation sections right and there they have there's everything from really short completed translated usha novels that are a few chapters long, like ones that I've translated, and there's, mm-hmm. you know, I Shall Still the Heavens is in there as well, which is more than a thousand, so there's mm-hmm. something for everybody there. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I think that's, yeah, especially the the Reddit group and the novel translations, I think that's, those are great places to start, and of course, Wuxia World as well. Um, mm-hmm. Moving slightly on, because uh, I said there were three things I wanted to ask about while we had time. Um, so, have you tried writing your own like uh, Chinese style web novels? Have you tried dipping your hand after all this translating? 
Yes and no. Um, so Wuxia World also has an original novel section. And if you go there, I have an original novel called Legends of Ogre Gate. And that's a really long topic to get into. I have like a 30 minute uh, or more YouTube video about that. Okay, with we'll the, link to it. Mm-hmm. Thanks. With the, um, so it's based on a, a tabletop role playing game, a tabletop Wuxia role playing game called Wandering Heroes of Ogre Gate. Uh, and my story is called Legends of Ogre Gate. And when I originally started uh, writing it, mm-hmm. or when I originally pitched it, my idea was to have it be in the web novel format. Mm-hmm. But as I got into it, um, it turned out to be a lot more complicated. And I felt like the, the the each chapter needed to be, well, let's put it this way. One of the big things about web novels is a lot of, the especially the action scenes and stuff tend to be filler Mm -hmm. you know like lots of explosions and like rumbling and like everybody was shocked and like blood Mm -hmm. sprayed out of their nose like (laughs) right like i could write a scene of a chinese fantasy novel action scene like really quickly Mm -hmm. but i didn't want to do that with this legends of Overgate, and so it's turned out to be a lot more difficult than i realized so Mm -hmm. um i would say it's not a web novel format it's a little bit more toward an actual like novel um i plan to finish it and then edit it and then publish it as an ebook and it will should be a standalone uh like story from beginning to end that should be a satisfying basically like well uh it should be standard epic fantasy novel Mm -hmm. length in the final version um, so that's and it's it's um I would classify it as Usa, not Sensa. It's mm. it's toward the end it will get toward more fantasy stuff, but in the it's basically martial arts uh fiction, I right. guess you could say. So hmm. yeah, Legends of Overgate and it, for anybody who's listening who for anybody who has listened for this entire time, first of all, thank you for listening. And second of all, if you are a fan of role playing games and are interested in Chinese stuff, check out Wandering Heroes of Ogregate. I don't mm-hmm. have anything to do with the, um, that game per se. I, I helped uh, play test it and I consulted a little bit, but it is definitely the ultimate tabletop role playing game for Usha. It's really, really, really well thought out and really deep and very cool. Right. Hmm. Have you ever tried? There was another Wuxia one, it was almost more Shansha, called uh, Weapons of the Gods came out about set, about 10 years ago that one i didn't try there was another one that i did play called um geez was it called feng shui because there yeah, was a was card shui, game yeah. called shadow fist and yeah. i was really into shadow fist mm-hmm. uh, i never played the I, it was feng shui right i never played the role-playing game but i always wanted to right yeah mm-hmm. there's feng shui there is there's another one and i'm trying to remember what it was uh oh, crap there's another there was another one but anyway got in my mind Whatever. Um, I'll I'll link to uh, I'll link to it in the show notes if I remember. Um, and uh, final question from my side. I'll give Don a chance. But final question from my side. So, what do you think the future of like the at least the translated novels? Like, do you think you mentioned earlier you don't think the audience is growing? Do you so? Do you think that it's peaked? Do you think that we're probably uh, we're not going to get too many more readers for translated novels, or do you think it generally it's not so much just uh, not growing, just kind of diversifying. It's kind of going outwards rather than upwards. Um, that's a good question. I think that a lot of it is going to depend on how the ebook versions of Coiling Dragon and I Shall Seal the Heavens do this mm, year. I can see that. Um, because, like, what I think is that the current 
like to be perfectly frank, the current available live translated versions of all of these novels are translated by I mean, you could either say fans or you could say amateur writers. They're just both. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's it's just the in terms of the writing itself, it's yeah. not very good. And incidentally, mm. I would categorize myself in that group as well because um as I've been going back to edit the like I'm not the one that's actually editing it, but what I'm doing is for the I Shall Still the Heavens book, I'm going through to do my own sort of like translation check and rewrite before handing it off to the editor. And what I can tell you is that the first several hundred chapters, I'm extremely not happy with my own writing. Mm. I mean, like, and I've checked it against, like, just recently I was thinking, like, am I just, like, fundamentally really this bad of a writer or is it just, like, my inexperience and then later I got better? And so I, I, I started checking some of the early chapters against the later chapters and the later chapters I found to be a lot better. So I mm. guess I just all the hard work and, and, and incidentally, another thing is that I actively solicit um, input and critiques from people. Right. Um, and so I think that's helped me to improve a lot. But anyway, my whole point is just the stuff that's available on online right now is not well written. And mm -hmm. so I think that, I think that the people who are fans of it are like the people who are so into just the genre itself that they're willing to read anything. And I used to be in that position as well. When I mm. first got really into Wuxia novels, I would read almost anything, even if it was really poorly translated or written. Right. And so, so that's why I say, I think a lot of it will depend on how the edited more well-written and composed eBooks do. I think that if they hit, um, I think that, it'll open up new doors for this genre in general. And I think what will end up happening probably is that Usha World and the other sites like it will be sort of like the training ground for new translators and new stories and stuff. And hmm. the top stuff will end up getting edited and published uh, in more traditional ways. And then probably it will gain a following at large that has higher standards in terms of the English. Hmm. And then there'll kind of be two levels, probably like the, 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 rough unedited just translated stuff that people are dying to read mm. and then there will be a, a more polished version that will probably also gain a, a larger audience as well at least that's what i'm hoping i i hope so too mm. i think that'd be perfect that's kind of the way it is i know with the japanese light novel community as well right now where they've got official releases because they found that there's a market for them and they've been making money with them but it's not super popular but they're making money you know companies are making money from it and and then there's the whole other tier of uh, fan translations for people that can't wait or for more esoteric or minor stuff. And, I mean, maybe 2018 will end up being the year of the uh, Chinese novel. I mean, after all, hmm. of course, Condor Hero is coming out this year as well. Yep. The, the translations for that. And we'll see how those do. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's another subject altogether. I'm planning to do a, a video about that. It's uh I'm, on the one hand, I'm very thrilled about it. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I'm um, a little bit apprehensive. But okay. we're, we're definitely getting kind of uh, pushing the time limit here. So that's yeah, no, no, and right. and I think that that's something that our our listeners should go and check out your YouTube channel um, yeah. for exactly that information because I think that that's a good that's a good hook to uh, and reason why everyone should go check out your YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Thanks. I, I plan to post a video about that because I actually have a, an advanced copy of it and um, I've oh. had a chance to look through it and discuss it with some of 
the other translators in the community and other fans and stuff. So I have some input hmm. about that before it comes out. Well, unfortunately, if it's not well translated, that would not be, that would kind of be par for the course. <laughs> I mean, there's Olivia Mock's uh, Fox Volant of the Snowy Mountain by Jin Young as well. And that was not well translated at all. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I, I bought that myself when I was back in my you know Usha obsession days. I have so a, I exactly I have a what copy. You're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and for, it's like this is the best they've got, really. Okay, uh, but anyway, we, that's a topic for another time. Uh, Don, did you have mm. anything you want to uh, say before we went? Well, I got going through my checklist. You guys hit like all all my questions. This this was great because again, this is a topic that I have probably next to no real like knowledge of and only like minimal experience hmm. so yeah there, there was a lot of good info and, uh, and a lot of things that uh, you, you managed to explain for me about how they work with the stuff i've seen i'm glad to be of some help and you guys definitely need to track down that um i actually while we were while we were chatting i i got onto twitter on my phone and i found the uh the Japanese main character versus Chinese oh. main character if you search my twitter you can find it okay it's, no uh, i actually found it too I, I, I found okay. it too. Um, and yeah, um, uh, although I, I guess I can post it with the sh- I'll post it with the show notes, whatever. I'll post it with the show notes. And, and oh, the- we've put a disclaimer. There. Yeah. We, uh, oh, we, uh, yeah, we've I'll discussed going to guy. It can't be worse. Oh, oh that's true. Okay. <laughs> so on that note, thank you very much, Jeremy, for coming in. It's been a fascinating yeah. and great discussion. Mm-hmm. It was my pleasure. Thanks, and I, I am I'm glad to be able to spread the love of Chinese fantasy novels. I think that more people should check them out, and Definitely. I I think a lot more fans are out there just waiting to discover it. Hmm. I think so too, and uh, that's part, part of the reason I had you on. And I th- and thank you again for doing your YouTube channel. I think that's also going to make a big difference and get more yeah. of the word out there. Thanks everyone for listening, and tune in next time when we'll talk about something. Almost as awesome as what we talked about today. (laughs) Take care, everyone. Good night. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember... The to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!